Now, if you look in your newsletter, I was going to preach on something else today, but the Lord quickened me with something different. And um, the song that we just sang has a line in it that I don't think you believe. The line of the song is, Lord, you are leading me on to the greater things. I believe we've come to a journey in our church where we need to start believing for bigger and wider and deeper than what we already have. Now, that's easy to say, having been at Hillsong with 26,000 people and, you know, believe for bigger things. I don't mean it in that context because our vision is our vision. It's not a Hillsong vision. What God's entrusted us with is specific to our group of people and the, and the gift mix and the body that God is building here. But I believe that we need to believe that God is going to entrust us with greater things. That comes out of being faithful with little things. But when you're faithful with little things, God can entrust you with big things. What impressed me about Hillsong this week was they have a conviction, not an arrogance, a conviction that God has entrusted them with the capacity to put their arms around bigger things than who they are. And they're quite aggressive about it. And I don't mean that that they're arrogant, they're just believing that their God is so big and that he's entrusted them with, with big vision. And so I think that that's something that perpetuates because they believe it. Not that they're arrogant going, we're the best and we can sing better than anybody else. I just think they honestly believe God wants us to think big. And he wants us to enlarge our territory. He wants us to stretch out our tent pegs and believe for bigger. Now, if I was God, they would be the sort of people I'd be looking for. I wouldn't be looking for people that go, well, God, I don't think I'm up for it. I really don't, don't think I can tackle this. What would God look at for? He'd look for people with the tenacity and, the, and it could probably very easily become arrogance and prideful. But in the right context, if God is looking for a people, wouldn't he be looking for a people that went, God, I want to do it. And I want to do it as big as I can. And I want to make the most impact that I can. And I want to have the most influence that I can. And so as I was thinking that through driving home yesterday, looking at the vast expanse of Australia, I kept hearing God say, Mark, it's time to enlarge. It's time to enlarge. And what are you saying, God? And the Lord was saying, I'm going to clean out the church. I don't know if that's just Catalyst or Cornerstone or beyond, but I think God is saying it's time for people to enlarge their vision and to believe for greater things and to stretch themselves beyond what they've had before. So Jesus said to Peter, and I tell you that, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God's going to build his church. That's guaranteed because Jesus said it was going to happen. Don't you want to be a part of a church, whether it's Catalyst, Cornerstone, or wherever God plants you, that is really thinking big and large and beyond what is just our capacity? I think we need to start thinking more like that, not arrogantly, but because of how big our God is, our vision should be starting to match the greatness and the bigness of our God. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, 
this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. When I read that passage, I understand that God has chosen the church to be the vehicle by which he's going to do these great things. We all love parts of the church. We all hate parts of the church. We've all criticised churches. We've all esteemed churches. Whether we like it or not, the church is the vessel through which God is going to do these things. It's his chosen way of promoting himself and the kingdom of God. So that tells me our attitude towards the church has to be a conviction that, that I'm going to give my very best and my very all to the church. Now, it's very easy to sit in a chair and criticise the church. It's a group of volunteers primarily trying to esteem the great things of God and all sorts of things can go wrong. But when the church is going right, when it is a place that has vision and purpose, when it's a place where God is present, then it is the hope of the world. And if you don't sincerely believe that, leave. Leave. We have got to have a conviction that this place is the hope of the world. Why? Because the church has been entrusted with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the place where people are going to encounter God primarily. God is not restricted to the church, but the church is his place. And so I'm asking you, in fact, I'm pleading with you to esteem the church above anything else that is in your life. Regardless of what your experience has been in the church, the church is just made up of broken people who often get things wrong. But the church has to be something that you love. It has to be something that you don't just put on your calendar once a month, you're going to come to church. You need to be here or somewhere every week where you fit. You need to bleed church. You need to love this place because it's the house of God. And if you don't love this house and the people in it, I sincerely believe you need to look at your heart. Because this is where God has invested the future into this church and churches like it all around Australia and the world. So it's no good bagging it. It's no good tearing it down. We've got to give our very best to it to make it the best that it possibly can be. And it starts with you and me giving our very best to this place or wherever God has called you. If it's not Catalyst, that's fine. Go find somewhere where you fit, where you feel like it's your home, but give it your best. Don't give it second best. Don't, don't, don't treat God's best. You understand what I'm saying? This place, we need to esteem it. We need to love it. We need to love the people in it. We need to believe in it because it is the hope of the world. I was thinking as I was driving home, it's not a part of Hillsong that I like, but what they do is they esteem their leaders sort of over the top, a bit ridiculous. But the thing that I liked about it was that wherever someone was leading a church or planting a church or growing a church, they had great faith in those people. 
and great faith in the potential of what would come out of those people. And I was thinking to myself, well, Lord, what? they were celebrating Brian Houston's 60th birthday and his 40th year in ministry. And I thought to myself, Lord, I wonder, wonder what they're going to say about me when I turn 60. What, what would they say? And the Lord said to me, Mark, what would you like me? What would you like them to say? I said, the one thing I would like them to say in my eulogy or when they were celebrating my birthday was that I loved the church and that I gave my life for the church. Now, I've been hurt and wounded by the church probably more than most of you. Been disappointed, been upset, been let down, but I still love the church. (laughs) And so today I want you to get something in your heart and spirit to shift your attitude for the church to be your be-all and your end-all. In your priority list, make the church, and when I say church, I mean worshipping God first, not the organisation, the church, the body of Christ, the people of Christ. I hope that when we stand at Daryl's graveyard when he dies, or Andrew's, or Matt's, or Joel's, you've got a lot of years ahead of you, mate, I pray that the thing that people say when they share about your life is that Daryl, he was there every Sunday. He loved this church. He gave his best financially. I know he does. And he gave of his life and his service to the church. Now, has Daryl been let down by the church? Of course he has. It's been underestimated, maligned maybe at times. Sure, but he's still here. Why? Because he knows in his heart that this place is the future of the world. It's the hope of the world. And so I'm asking you today, whatever your attitude has been to the church, somehow today could you turn it to be that I'm going to give my best to this church or to whatever church God has called you to be a part of. That means emotionally. That means physically. That means financially. That means everything. When you get your pay packet, Every week, every month, what's the first thing you do with it? The first thing we do in our family is give it to the church. Why? Because I believe in my heart that if I don't invest into this place, I've missed the agenda of God. The agenda of God is to grow churches. Why churches? Because churches are really the only places where people are going to find the final hope of knowing who Christ is. And the freedom that Jesus brings and the healing and the restoration and all the things that go along with knowing God. If the church is not proclaiming that message, then people aren't going to hear. But churches can't proclaim that message unless there's resources to do that. And God's entrusted you and I with the resources to make that possible for the church to grow. It's not a money exercise. It's got nothing to do with money because I believe you need to give your life to the church. And the gifts that God has put in your heart to the church. So I want you to give your best. Not your second best, not your third best. Your very best to the church. And then we're going to see great things happen. The core values of our church. Can't read the third one. Are justice, mercy and humility. They're the three things that we fashion this church around. Thanks, Tim. Why? Because justice and mercy and humility are the things that will grow a great church. 
The Lord has shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of any of us is to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. If we pull those three things apart, thanks, Dan, it'll tell us what type of church we need to be and it'll tell us the things that we need to do as a church. The first one of these is to act justly. And justice in this context has two sort of streams to it. It just means the word mishpat, which means to do what is right in God's eyes. If we're a group of people that in our everyday life, we always do what's right in God's sight, whether it feels good or not, we just do it, then we will grow a church of great integrity and purity and holiness because we're always doing what is right in God's sight. So we raise up a standard of holiness amongst us where the highest common denominator is serving the truth of God. What that does is it lifts the moral value of the church to the highest place it can be. And so we live out of a model of purity and integrity and therefore when people come into the church, even though we're on a process of being Christ-like and God is changing us, what people will observe when they come into our community is a standard that is godly. And so they've got something to, to follow after, haven't they? It might expose who they are if they're godless and walking in sin, but that's what we want. We don't want to condemn people. What We want to give people a model to follow. We want to give them an example. We want to be people that move in the opposite spirit of the world. We want to have a different attitude and language and, 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 and you know, ethos amongst us where there's not the negativity that's in the world. There's not the hopelessness in the world. We, we speak life instead of death. We, we esteem people. We lift people up. We've got a community of people go, I want to be part of this. Why? Because you're the benefactor of being in that group of people. They love you. They've got your back. They believe in you. They make allowances for your shortcomings. But together, we're growing in God to be this beautiful place of selfless people and servant attitudes. That's what it means to act justly, to do what's right before God for me as a person. The second part of that is to act justly, is that to know that the church can do something about the injustice in the world that we as a people together with the heart of God, God will give us vision for the ways in which our community we can go, there's injustice over there, there's women being beaten by their husbands, we need to get involved. There's young people that are neglected by their parents, we need to be involved. There's people being trafficked or whatever it is, God will say, I've got a heart of justice. Where's my church? In this community, where are we breaking into the injustice and saying, that's not on. We'll be the voice for those people that don't have one. We'll be the ones that take up the mission and fight on their behalf. So this sense of justice is I need to be something in in my own world. I'm living out a life after God, but then justice needs to be something that is oozing out of me. Wherever I see injustice, I should get upset. I should champion the cause of those who are oppressed and who are, you know, disadvantaged and maligned. So we've got to involve ourselves. We've got to champion the cause. We've got to be advocates. We've got to comfort the defenceless and the oppressed. We've got to advocate on their behalf. We've got to try and alleviate the hardship and the oppression that a lot of people are experiencing. And it's really coming down to saying we've got to love others as you would wish to be loved. If you were in that situation of despair, wouldn't you want someone to come and be the face, the mouth, the eyes, the ears, the life of Christ? 
and give you hope when there isn't any. That's one part of the vision of this church is to act justly. And you could look at our community and you could very quickly come up with a list of people. Even though we're a prosperous Western nation, we're a great community out here, there's still lonely people. There's still abused people. There's still neglected people. There's still disadvantaged people. There's still burdened people. There's still people living in distress. There's still people in great bondage just over there in that community. That's our job, is to somehow break in to that community and meet those needs. The second part is to love mercy. Now we could go and do those things out of obligation or we could go and do them out of the overflow of love. I know which one will last longest. It's when we do it in love. Because when there's genuine love, and the world doesn't know what genuine love is, when, when people experience that, it becomes irresistible, really. When people know that they're genuinely loved, there's something that transpires in their heart and life that's incredible. And so we should be a people that love being merciful. We should be a people that love extending grace. Love that we love, that we love, that we can love on love, loving people. That's the sort of the idea. That we're just this group of people that just when we see a need, we'll meet it. When we see hurt, we'll go and be involved. And we want to be a church that's just oozing love. A genuine and generous empathy to love others. And it's a supernatural thing. It can only come out of relationship with God. You can't keep loving. There'll always be excuses why not. There'll always be limitations. But when that love is coming out of a love for God, we'll be able to keep going and keep going and keep going. So giving of ourselves and our resources without any limits and no leash on our hearts. We need to be people who do justly, love mercy and walk humbly. What does that mean to walk humbly? It means that to do anything that God has called us to, we can't do it without him. We've got to be so reliant on him. We've got to be anchored to him. We can do all this stuff, but it needs to be in his strength, not our own. We can have lots of great ideas, but we need to be fulfilling the God ideas that he's implanted into our hearts and into the life of this church. It's exactly the opposite of running around arrogantly. We're actually very aware of our dependency on God to do these things. And so by leaning on God and leaning into God rather than our own, you know, our own capability and ability, it puts us in a place of dependency on God where, where he knows and looks at us and goes, you know, Troy, you can go and do this, mate. And Troy goes, yeah, God, but I feel so inadequate. Yeah, but Troy, I'm sending you. So Troy goes, leaning into God. Not saying, yep, God, I got it. Don't worry, I don't need your help. I can do it. No, it's that, it's that being linked into God and relying on God and being on our knees, believing and trusting that God is going to see us through. So to walk humbly is to know that in the midst of this family, you've got a responsibility to bring your best for the benefit of other people. And we're a kingdom of messy people that God is trying to fix our lives up. So we need to be a people that are very humble in the way that we interact with one another and love each other. No one is better and no one is above anybody else. I sincerely believe that. We don't need to be a team of superstars. 
And we don't need to be a team of pretenders. Just ordinary women of God who've heard that call of God upon their life to do their bit in the life of the church and we do it to the best of our capacity, which means we've always got to remain teachable. We've always got to be learning. We've always got to be asking ourselves, God, what are you teaching me? How are you growing me? How do I learn? What's the next thing in my life, God, that I need to lay a hold of because it's a, a shortcoming or a failure that's tripping me up all the time? Lord, teach me. Train me. And we don't take any glory for what happens. It is all God's work. So the challenge for us as a church is to leave an enlarged kingdom fingerprint of justice and mercy and humility, not just in Officer, but through Beaconsfield and Pakenham and beyond. That's our foundational starting point, to be a people of justice, mercy and humility. We used to go camping up the beach at um, Double Island Point and... Four people in our family don't mind sand. One person in our family hated sand. So a good place to go camping is not on the sand, at the beach. And so when we first started going camping, we had a tent and we'd lay down a tarp, but the tarp would get sand on it. And so Sheridan, who hated sand, would tiptoe, cry, oh, I hate sand, hate sand. And the whole two weeks we were there, she'd just whinge and whinge and whinge. So revelation, next year we got shade cloths because the shade cloth, the sand falls through it. But to get off the shade cloth to go to the toilet or to the shower, Sheridan had to walk across the sand, didn't she? So the evolution of our camping process was that we had walkways of shade cloth for Sheridan to go to the toilet and Sheridan to get to the shower and Sheridan to get across the soft sand to the hard sand so that she could get to the beach without getting sand in her tent or on her feet. It was pretty bad. We started off with a footprint that was about that big and by the time we finished camping, we had a footprint that was about everyone that went past like, what's wrong with you people? It's like, look at Sherry, she doesn't like sand. But the principle was we kept enlarging. Every year I kept buying more shade cloth and we kept getting a bigger, bigger, bigger footprint, a bigger enlargement of our territory. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do at Catalyst, to enlarge the place of our tent, to stretch your tent curtains wide, not to hold back, to lengthen your cords, straighten your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Now, you could look at that attitude and you could say, well, that's pretty arrogant of us to ask that, isn't it? It could be if the attitude wasn't right. But if the attitude is, God, this church, with the message that it carries, with the mandate that it has, with the capability that it has, Lord, would you use us to have greater influence? Would you use us to have greater impact? Then that's not an arrogant prayer. That's just believing that God is calling us to greater things and that as people of God, we have the capacity to fill a larger vision. Some of you may remember this prayer. It was a big hit 10 years ago, maybe, the prayer of Jabez. Jabez was more honourable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. And so Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me 
and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and protect me. I believe that that needs to be our prayer. Now, it's not a formula. You know? It's the sentiment of the prayer that Jabez knew that if he cried out to God and asked God to make his vision greater, to make his capacity greater, that God had the ability to do that. So Catalyst needs to cry out to the God of Israel, Lord, bless us. Not bless us so we can be selfish. Bless us so that we can be selfless. Lord, bless us. Bless us with buildings. Bless us with people. Bless us with vision. Bless us with everything that we need so that we can have a greater influence over this society that we live in. That's the heart of God. That's not an arrogant prayer. It's just saying, God, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to do it less than our potential. I want to fulfil that potential. I want to be part of a church where we're doing great things for God. We're great people. I know most of you very well. You're great people. But great people should be great exploits for God. Great people should be great risk takers for God. Great people should be out there pressing the boundaries of what's possible and going beyond them. That's what I saw at Hillsong. If God could do it for Hillsong, he can do it for us. The principle's the same. We won't do it their way, we'll do it our way. But they've got a tenacity, they've got a, an arrogance. When they talk, you hear in the back of their language all the time is that God is taking us on. He's doing new things, he's doing a better thing, he's doing a greater thing. It's not a prosperity doctrine. It's just a conviction in their heart that God is with them. And when God is with them, there's a natural thing that goes outwards and upwards and it's bigger and it's better because that's the way God works. And I think he's saying, catalyst, cornerstone, narrow-minded, think bigger. Small-minded, think bigger. Think bigger. Think greater. Not for yourselves. Justice, mercy, humility. Because of those ingredients will entrust us with the capacity to see people's lives changed. This is all about people. It's all about people that need to know the name of Jesus. It's all about people that have no hope, that need hope. Who's got the message of hope? The church. Who is the church? You are. <laughs> we are. And so we've got to believe for greater things in God. So I believe God wants to lift our vision. And I believe God wants to enlarge our vision. But when you are going to increase a vision and make it bigger, you need hearts that go with that vision that are bigger. I'm not so concerned about the vision at this point. I'm more concerned about our hearts that we have in, I guess the word is enlarged hearts, an enlarged capacity for the things of God. Because when God stretches us, and this is a stretching process, any growth, any expansion is a stretching process. The thing that you don't want to do is have, um, have programs and and vision that isn't matched by character and matched by the heart of the people that go with it. Because then you'll just have an organisation. You won't have an organism that's alive and has life in it. So we need to, as a people, have a greater love for God and an enlarged love for other people. 
That's where it starts. And then the vision that complements that will come alongside it. But it's no, God, no good God entrusting us as a church if our heart is cold or our heart is selfish. We need to have hearts that are very supple and enlarged in God. That's my heart, my prayer for the heart of us, that we would be a people that have you know, hearts that are big in every sphere of our life. Because out of a big heart will naturally come big vision, <laughs> will naturally come a, a tenacity to go after the things of God. We'll, we'll, they'll, they'll just, it'll just be there. Because if there's a big heart, there's, there's big love, there's big mercy, there's big justice, there's big humility. So we need big hearts for a big vision. And I think it's okay to pray that prayer. I really do. I think it's okay for us to say, God, we want your best. I want to be your best. I want to give. I want at my disposal the best God has. <laughs> Why? Because I want to see people saved. And I want to see marriages healed. And I want to see lost people be found. And I want to see broken people made whole. That's what it's all about. You know, Bill Hybels spoke the other day. I don't know. There was one moment in that conference for me. I just felt like hiding under the chair. And yet at the same time, I wanted to scream at the top of my voice. He told a story about a baptism that they were doing. And in the church that Bill Hybels was in, they do a lot of baptisms. And this one guy um, came out to him. Bill was in the water and he was, um, you know, just baptising people as they came out. They probably have some music going, they have this process. People walk out, he baptises them. There's a heap of people out there, so that's obviously hundreds or in the tens or twenties or thirties. And this young guy started walking out towards him and, and Bill took one look at him and went, oh, wow. <laughs> he was covered in tattoos and he had you know, piercings all over him. And, and um, what they do at their baptisms is they give everyone a T-shirt and on the T-shirt is just a blank line across the chest and they give them a pencil pen and they say, you write whatever word that you want to write on your shirt as you come out to get baptised. And if I remember it correctly, he wrote Transformation on his heart. And he came out and, and Bill baptised him and Bill was looking at the guy next to him and they'd been in ministry for a very long time and together and this guy just looked at Bill and just said, mate, sign me up for another 30 years just because of what they saw happening round about them. The goodness of God, the greatness of God in the midst of ordinary people like you and me, it is possible. It's already started. It's already happening and we need to celebrate the great things God has done in the life of this church already. But there's going to be greater things. And I truly hope that you believe that you're part of that. There's greatness in every one of you. God has called you to be a piece in the puzzle of Catalyst Church. God has gifted you with things, capacity to lead, capacity to organise, capacity to, to create things, you know, to make things come out of nothing effectively because God's given you those gifts. But if you don't use them, we never get the blessing. And so the time has come for people to <laughs> stop holding back like the psalm said and step out into the great things of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of increase and that you, Lord, spiritually, you want to increase us. You want us to go from the milk 
to the meat of God. You want to grow us in our gifts and our abilities. You want to grow our character so that we are a fruit tree full of the fruits of the Spirit. God, you want to grow us in so many ways. And Lord, I believe you also want to grow our vision. Our vision for what our contribution is to the life of the church. Lord, we're not here to sit in pews and sit in seats. We're here to fulfill the call of God on our lives, whatever that might look like, whether I'm an administrator or I'm a worship leader or I set up chairs, whatever it is, there's no competition. It's just whether we got the heart to go after the things of God. And Lord, I want to pray today that there would be an enlarging of our capacity as a people to believe for greater things in you. And Lord, I want to pray that out of that belief system will flow the processes to enable that to happen. It's one thing to have vision. It's another thing to get the rubber on the road. And so, Lord, I want to pray that you would start stirring people up. That you would start reminding them of the gifts that they've been given, the call that they've been given, the things that they can do and do well, Lord, and motivate them to grab hold of those things and run. Lord, I want to pray, just like Jabez did, that you would increase our territory, that you would enlarge our influence that you would give us a greater capacity to share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would give us a greater capacity to reach the lost and the broken and the hurting, Lord God. Uh, Father, you would stretch us out. And stretching's always painful, God, and there's always a price to be paid. But Lord, we want to be stretched. We want to be used by God in a way that's profitable for the kingdom of God. We want to be a church where your presence is so resident and so powerful that your name is proclaimed right through our officer in Beaconsfield and Berwick and Pakenham and beyond, Lord. Father, I don't want to set limits on you. Lord, I just want you to help us to think like you do to think with the scope that you do, on the scale that you do, for what you've already put in our lives and entrusted to us, and to use it in such a way that there are far better days ahead, far greater testimonies to come, far greater programs to be invented, far greater things beyond our imagination, God, that you are going to do because that's the type of God that you are. And so, Lord, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or dream or imagine, that's my prayer. I proclaim it now prophetically over the life and the people of this church, Lord, that you would do immeasurably more, immeasurably more. Father, in worship, take us on. In children's ministry, Lord, take us on. In youth ministry, Lord, take us on. In young adults' ministry, Lord, take us on to greater things. In care and pastoral care for people, Lord, take us on to greater things. In welcoming people, take us on, Lord, to greater things. 
Father, there's so many areas of the life of this church that has potential to grow. Now, God, put your hand on the people that can grow it and release them to run with the vision that you've put in their heart and to unleash the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in greater measure over the life of our church. Father, I thank you. I sincerely thank you for everyone that comes to this place and calls this place home and believes that there is something worth investing into here. Lord, make our conviction for this church burn so much stronger, so much brighter, with more intensity, God, that will sell our lives out for this church. This church that you want to take and use to proclaim to the principalities and powers that this is God's best. This is God's greatest. This is where it happens in the church for the glory of God.